Amen. We're going to continue in our study of the book of Acts, so I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I'm begin reading, begin reading this morning at verse 26 of Acts chapter 8 and reading through to the end of the chapter. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip himself, but Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, the, as he, passed through he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the Word of God. Thanks be unto our God. Let's, let's pray. Father, we do pray in the name of Jesus that You would meet us this morning, that You would meet us by the power of Your Spirit, that You would do that work in us, Lord, that You would work in our hearts, Lord, to root out our sin, and that You would give us a new heart, that You would make us and shape us and mold us after Your own image. We pray this morning, Lord, for our hearts to receive Your Word. And we pray, Lord, that having received it, we may practice it in our lives. So we pray, be with us, speak to us this morning. In Your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. There are many sayings about home. It's said, for instance, that home is where the heart is. Or you might consider that famous line by Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, there is no place like home. For some, home is a good place. For others, it is a mixed bag of good things and really hard things. Nevertheless, home is where our identity began, where we came into being and where God started shaping our character. Home home, home. Now, you may be wondering why 
I'm talking about home. <laughs> Why I'm beginning this sermon in this way. Well, I want you to notice something right off the jump about the story in front of us. I want you to notice the when, the when of the angel's command that Philip go and speak to this Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch, by the way, was someone who had been intentionally stripped of his ability to participate in having children. In that way, they were stripped of their ability to produce heirs, folk who would carry on their name. They were often used for uh, these royal positions since they proved not, uh, so, because they proved to be less of a threat. But what I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, is the win, the win of God's encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch. We are told in the text that this man had been in Jerusalem for worship. Thus, he was likely a convert to Judaism. How he had become a convert, we are not told. What we are told is that he had been up to Jerusalem for worship. Yet God had not decided to encounter him while he was in Jerusalem. Instead, God decided to encounter him on his way home. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the timing of this encounter is no more an accident than the encounter itself. Listen, the apostles were in Jerusalem at the same time that this man was there. Indeed, Peter and John, who were sent from Jerusalem to Samaria to lay hands on them, were likely still in Jerusalem at the time that this man was there. In other words, there were people in Jerusalem who could have told him the story about Jesus, who could have shared with him in Jerusalem the truth of the gospel. After all, from the Jewish standpoint, Jerusalem was the place where God set His name, the place where the temple dwelled. It was the place from their perspective that you had to go if you wanted to meet with God. So why not Jerusalem? Why not grab Him while He is worshiping in this place where God's name was said to dwell? Well, brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you this morning the reason for God's timing. God encounters this Ethiopian on his way back to Ethiopia as a definitive statement that he is not simply the God of Jerusalem, the God of the Jews, but that he is the God of the Ethiopians and Ethiopia. The good news, the good news of the kingdom of God come in Jesus is a message of a God who has come to lay claim on what is His. And what is His are the nations of the earth. What is His? What is His are people from among every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And this is not new news either. The God who calls His name to dwell in Jerusalem didn't do it so that Israel could boast in some perceived notion of ethnic superiority. He did it so that they would be a light drawing the nations of the earth to Himself. The problem, the problem has never been God's plan. The problem is with our tendency to turn acceptance into another's rejection. 
The problem is in our sinful hearts, believing that our good has to come at somebody else's expense. But the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God comes to put an end to all of our sinful ethnic boasting. For in Jesus, God has come to lay claim on what, is, on what is His, people from among all the families of the earth. Revelation 5 says it plainly, <laughs> that you died and with your blood you purchased for God a people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So Jesus is calling on His disciples to bear witness to him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the othermost parts of the earth is coming to fruition in the text in front of us as God encounters this Ethiopian eunuch on his way home. By the way, the Ethiopian church traces its history back to this Ethiopian eunuch. And we know that God showed up in other places in Africa very early on in the history of his redemptive acts. The point being that Christianity was in Africa long before slaves were wickedly and tragically shipped to these shores. Don't believe the lie. Slavery wasn't a necessary means of the evangelization of black peoples. Black people were a part of God's plan from the beginning, just like every other people on the face of this earth. Listen to me this morning. Listen to me. Our evil acts can't be excused through excuses. It can only be healed through repentance and fruit in keeping with that repentance. God's encounter with this Ethiopian on his way home says that, that our home location matters. The ethnic communities we hail from matter. The nations we come from matter. Even the circumstances we find ourselves in at home matter. They matter. And the good news about Jesus, the good news about His kingdom is meant to be proclaimed in those home spaces. So what can we learn? What can we learn from this encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch about how God meets us with the gospel at home? How, what, what, what can we learn about how God meets us with the gospel of the kingdom at home? I want to start by saying to you this morning that God meets us where we are. God meets us where we are. Listen again to these verses. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I love this story. I love this story because it tells us that despite Israel's failure to actually be a light to the nations as a nation, God nevertheless found ways to make His name known to the nations. This unit's conversion to Judaism says that God was at work in His world to make His name known. 
You only have to read the Old Testament and see the places where God worked to draw into His family people who were not ethnically Jews. Jesus' own family line testifies to this truth, including a Canaanite woman, Rahab, and her son Boaz, whom she had through Salmon, her Jewish husband, and a Moabite woman, Ruth, who marries that son and becomes the great-grandmother of King David. We could go back and show more of this kind of thing where God was signaling ahead of time His claim on all the peoples of the earth. But But what I want you to note in this story particularly is how God encounters this eunuch on his way home. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. The text is from Isaiah 53, verse 7, which speaks to the work of the suffering servant whom Philip and the church now knew to be Jesus Christ. And as he reads, Philip, having come to the chariot, overhears him. And then in verse 35, we read this, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I just want you to recognize that Philip started where the Ethiopian eunuch was in his understanding, not where Philip was. I'll say that again. The Ethiopian eunuch, the, the, the Philip started to preach the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch where he was, not where Philip was. He preached Jesus from this passage of Scripture that God had placed in front of this Ethiopian eunuch. He took the meaning of this text and no doubt using other passages of Scripture, explained to this eunuch how Christ was the fulfillment. But notice what he did not do. He did not determine that this was not a good starting point for the story and that the eunuch would be better off focusing on a different narrative. He didn't decide that the eunuch needed to first understand his political, cultural, and social perspectives before he could understand the text. (laughs) No, he started from this scripture and explained the gospel. He met the eunuch where he was, and as the eunuch asked, he led him to understand who this text was talking about. Perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps some of the failure of the mission of the church in those places where it is weak isn't due to the resistance of the culture or a weakening of the church's doctrine or some progressive movement to undermine the fundamentals of the faith. Perhaps it is due to an inability of the church to preach the gospel where people are at to start at those points where people are wrestling to understand God, and from the Scriptures explain how God in Christ answers their situation. And I cannot help but wonder if the reason God confronted this eunuch with this passage in particular is because of his own social location. Luke gives a clear description of who this man was, and here's the thing. We could focus on his status in Queen Candace's court and think he had it good. However, eunuchs were not eunuchs by choice. Eunuchs were typically slaves who were made eunuchs for the purpose of being more reliable in their service. Since they could not have families, their loyalties presumably would not be divided. How could the eunuch listening to this story not hear echoes of his own condition? humiliated, denied justice, 
cut off from the land of the living. In the eunuch's case, this is demonstrated in his not having heirs to continue his name. You see, earlier in that text, in Isaiah 53, we read, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. As Philip preached, the eunuch was hearing the story of the one who had carried his sorrows. He was hearing the story of the one who had carried his griefs. He was hearing the story of the one who was humiliated on his behalf. He was hearing the story of the one who was denied justice on his behalf. And as he heard his story, he heard his own story. As he heard the story about Jesus, he heard the story about his own need. And he realized that in Jesus was his salvation. You want to reach other people groups? You want to reach other people groups? Stop preaching Christ to them from where you are and start preaching it where they are. If you want to reach other people groups, stop preaching Christ to them where you are and start preaching Christ to them where they are. This message… <laughs> This message that God meets us where we are with the gospel should impact actually how we share that gospel with those around us. It's not the gospel, of course, that, that changes with this reality, only the starting point from which we share that good news with others. And let me tell you what this requires. It requires listening. It requires listening. It requires listening to others listening to their circumstances, listening to where they may be starting in their encounter with the Lord. It means starting from there and explaining Christ and His kingdom as He is proclaimed in the Scriptures. It's unfortunate to me, it's unfortunate to me to hear people in the church complaining about the emphasis in this current generation on justice matters. Rather than complaining we should be meeting people at this place, explaining and expounding the Scriptures as it relates to God's commitment to it. We should be showing people how Christ's kingdom is the answer to the cries of our culture for justice. We should be showing them our commitment to rescue the abused, to console the brokenhearted, to provide, the poor, provide for the poor and needy, and on and on and on. If that's where people are starting, meet them with the gospel there, because guess what? The Bible says God is a God of justice, so show it to them. And that's just one place in which people need to be met where they are. People you know may need to be met in other places. The point is that the gospel meets them there with a message that God sees, that God knows, a message that He can save and set free. But it means listening, opening our ears and our hearts to where people are. And if you think I'm making that up, go read the Gospels again. Go read the story of Jesus' encounter with people and watch Him meet people where they are, explain the good news of the kingdom from there and how He is the answer to the place they are actually struggling. Sometimes we're preaching the Gospel, but we're preaching it from the wrong place 
because we're more concerned about where we're at than we are about where other people around us are. But God meets us with the gospel of the kingdom where we are. Amen, people of God. He not only meets us where we are, He unites us with His Son. He meets us where we are. He unites us with His Son. The eunuch, having heard the story about Jesus explained from this text of Scripture, as they're going on the road, he sees water. He says, what prevents me from being baptized? And clearly, the eunuch believes what he has heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's high, it's highly likely that Philip has explained to him the meaning of baptism. And so the eunuch says, let's go. Baptize me right now. And so they exit the chariot, and Philip baptizes him there. And I was reading the Westminster Confession the other day, and here's what it says about baptism. Um, here's what it says uh, about baptism. Here's what struck me about it as I was reading the meaning of baptism, what God says to us individually and corporately as we perform this sacrament. It's not lost on me, and it shall not be lost on you, that among the many things that baptism signifies is this reality of being engrafted into Christ. That, 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 that in baptism, Westminster Confession, speaking about baptism, says, in baptism, we are engrafted, we are engrafted into Christ. We're engrafted into Christ. In baptism, God signifies our being united to His Son. We are now, through baptism in Christ, covenantally bound to Him. And as a result, we are drawn up into all the blessings of being His, forgiven, regenerated, washed, cleansed. And it's not lost on me that in the movement of Luke's story, he has told us of the baptisms of those in Jerusalem and Judea, and then the baptisms of those in Samaria, and now to this Ethiopian who was seen by many as having been from the uttermost parts of the earth. So, so we've seen people baptized in Jerusalem. We've seen people baptized in Samaria. We've seen people uh, baptized now in the uttermost parts of the earth. And so it's not lost on me that as God saves people from among the nations of the earth and baptizes them and grafting them into His Son, that He is reclaiming their stories for His own. Ethiopia belongs to God. Egypt belongs to God. The Netherlands belong to God. India belongs to God. Britain belongs to God. The Philippines belong to God. And every other tribe and people and language and nation belongs to God. So, God's baptism of this Ethiopian eunuch was God saying to his Jewish family members and to all who would hear this story, Ethiopia is his too. And he was saying this to this Ethiopian individually, you are mine. And he was also saying, your people are mine as well. So here's my question. Here's my question. What would happen in our ethnic enclaves if we actually considered that Christ was through baptism engrafting into Himself 
people who don't look like us. What would happen if we considered that he was reclaiming as his own the cultures of people who don't share our culture? What would happen if we considered that he was reclaiming their stories and redeeming them for his own glory? Can I just tell you something this morning? Racism and ethnic superiority is stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. And, and, and racism and ethnic superiority in Christian circles is stupider. Watch this. If it was too light a thing for God to send His Son only for the Jews, then it is too light a thing for Him to send His Son only for your people group. God's purposes are too big to fit in our individual cultural boxes. Your story is a part of the story alongside many other stories of many other peoples whom God is engrafting into His Son. In one sense, in one sense, we need to hear that we are special, that we and our people belong to God. But in another sense, you ain't special. Can I help you? In another sense, you ain't special because you ain't the only people that God is focused on on this earth. He is focused on engrafting people from among all the nations into His family. You're special and you're not special at the same time. This Ethiopian man's baptism was a sign and seal of all that baptism is. He was engrafted into Christ that day, and all the blessings of being united to Christ were signed and sealed to him that day. But it also bore testimony, as it did with the Samaritans before him, that God is the God of the nations, and through the gospel of his Son, he has come to reclaim those nations for himself. God is not just uniting you to himself. And He's not just uniting your people to Himself. He is uniting all the peoples, all the families of this earth to Himself. Amen, people of God. So let me read this to you. Westminster Larger Catechism, 167. We're asked this question, how is our baptism, or how is baptism improved by us? How is baptism improved by us? And among the many aspects of the answer given, it mentions this at the very end. And to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same Spirit into one body. One of the ways that we improve our baptism is by walking in brotherly love as being baptized by the same Spirit into one body. Our baptism into Christ is meant to inspire us to our brotherly love in the church. How can I not care? How can I not care about what happens to my Ethiopian brother or sister if he and I are baptized into the same Christ? How can I not care about my black brothers and sisters if we have been baptized into the same Christ? How can I not care about my Asian brothers and sisters if we have been baptized into the same Christ? How can I not care about my white brothers and sisters if we have been baptized into the same Christ? Our baptism is a call not to neglect, to show love to one another, 
the love that pursues our neighbor's good, the love that is willing to give up its own life for our neighbor's good. And so the call is to pursue this brotherly love, to look for ways to show each other across all these dividing lines the love of Christ. And since love does not look first to its own interests, it means working to understand the interests of my brothers and sisters. It has to be important to me to understand the circumstances of my brothers and sisters, especially those who are not like me. I'm not suggesting that Philip understood all this in this moment. I'm suggesting that God did. And I'm suggesting that he was, as he thrust his church into these new spaces, he was showing them what it was going to mean for them to include the nations into the church. God meets us where we are. He unites us to His Son. Lastly, He makes us His ambassadors to others. While we cannot say from this text that the eunuch shares his story in Ethiopia, it would be difficult not to surmise that that's in fact what happened. <laughs> that he would have gone home and stayed quiet about what happened to him would be hard to believe. The text tells us that he went away rejoicing. And it's hard to believe that he, would, that, he, that he would have kept that joy to himself. As I said earlier, tradition traces the beginnings of the Ethiopian church back to him. But where we can't say from the text what the Ethiopian did, we can say from the text what Philip did. Philip preached the gospel to all the towns in that region until he came to Caesarea. Now we might ask what happened when he got to Caesarea? What happened when he got to Caesarea? Did he stop preaching the gospel when he got there? Did he take a vacation? Did he decide it was time to retire? What happened? Well, to answer that question, we have to turn to Acts 21. In Acts 21, verse 8, we read this. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven. And we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. What did Philip do? He kept preaching the good news of the kingdom of God that has come in Jesus Christ to the point where he became known as the evangelist. And not only that, he raised four daughters who shared, uh, who were prophets who shared uh, in the ministry of the proclamation of Jesus Christ. I said earlier that God meets us on the way home. He met the Ethiopian on his way home to Ethiopia. But I want to suggest that he also met Philip on his way home. No, Caesarea was not Philip's hometown. It was not the place that he grew up. It was not where his people were from. It was not the place that had shaped him and nurtured him. It was a city rebuilt and enlarged by Herod the Great uh, that became the Roman capital of Judea. No, Caesarea was not home for Philip in the sense of his place of origin. It was home for him in that it was the place that God called him to settle. It was the place that God called him to preach and make his name known. And this work was likely done among other people groups, not his own. Thus, he was being called to develop relationship among people who didn't share his own cultural heritage. Brothers and sisters, some of us are called back to Ethiopia, while others of us are called to Caesarea. 
Whatever, wherever God takes us, though, the message of the gospel of the kingdom is the same. It's the same gospel that the Ethiopian encountered on the road together with Philip. It is the gospel of Jesus wherein God declares that the nations are His. What if we preach the gospel, preach that gospel in all of our churches, in all of our cities? I've had People tell me in reference to this call to reconciliation that they don't have any black people in their particular part of the city or of the state. And I'm thinking, so what? Do you have people living in your part of the city or state? Good. Tell them that God, the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is the God of the nations. Tell them that black lives matter to God and should matter to them. Tell them that Asian lives matter to God and should matter to them. Tell them that Latino and Latina lives matter to God and should matter to them. Tell them that the lives of the poor white people living right around the corner from them matter to God and should matter to them. The gospel of the kingdom of God that has come in Jesus draws the nations to Himself. That gospel, that gospel isn't just true if you got black people living around you. It's true, period. And maybe if that gospel were preached faithfully, in all God's churches, we'd be having a different conversation right now in the church. And maybe if that was the gospel being preached in all of God's churches, we'd be having a different conversation on a cultural level. But part of the problem is we're preaching a gospel of me and mine. We're preaching a gospel of my crew, my club, my people. But what would happen if you preached this gospel in your church? Tony, can you give me any book references? Some stuff I can read about how to do this. Y'all got a book reference. Here it is right here. Pick this thing up, open it up, and preach. Because that book says God is the God of the nations. I read books too. It's good. But the book you're called to preach from says that God is the God of the nations. And I just wonder, I wonder, I wonder if your salary didn't matter to you as much as it did if you'd opened up this book and preached the gospel of the nations, if being thought highly by the people who have power and resource, if that wasn't so high on your priority list, if this gospel might be preached in your church. Here's what I'm saying, New City. Here's what I'm saying. We as a church have to be committed to preaching this gospel throughout Southeast Grand Rapids. We have to be committed to preaching this gospel that says that our God is the God of the nations of the earth. For many of us in this room, we've been called to this new home. We are here pursuing God's call to work toward being a church that pursues cross-cultural ministry. I want to encourage us to embrace this call. I want to encourage us to embrace what the Lord is doing here. 
as he works to teach us how to live and do life together. And the reason I want to encourage us is because the work isn't easy. I'm thankful that God has held you together as a congregation through transition and through the divisions that COVID and the pursuit of justice have brought into the church. It's a good sign of the work of the Spirit that you have continued in God's mission. I want to encourage you to stay the course. Don't give up and don't give in to the lies of your flesh, to the lies of the devil, to the lies of the world around you. God is committed to believers learning to love each other cross-culturally. And when you get down, when you get down about the work, when you feel frustrated in it, ask God to give you zeal. Ask Him to give you zeal from the Spirit to keep going. Find others who believe with you in God's commitment to these things. Pray together. Talk together. Cry together. Build each other up in this vision. And keep proclaiming it to others around you. God, through His Son, through the gospel of His Son, the gospel of the kingdom, He meets us where we are. He unites us to Himself, to His Son, and He makes us ambassadors of this gospel to others. God, in the gospel of His Son, doesn't just meet us on our way home, but He draws us in Christ back home, back to the home we were always meant to be a part of, our home where all nations, tribes, peoples, languages are standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the Word of God. This is the vision of the church that Christ is building. Let's proclaim that, that, that gospel of the kingdom everywhere and to everyone whom God calls us to proclaim it. Amen, people of God. Amen. Let's, let's share the Lord's Supper together.